Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be discussing at what point a work-spouse relationship raises red flags and how to help a friend who won't help herself. Joining me today is entertainment journalist Gia Peppers. Among her many other roles, she currently hosts the Healed Girl Era podcast, where she speaks with guests like Kelly Rowland and The Color Purple's Danielle Brooks about how they managed to get through the eras that defined who they are and how they became the best versions of themselves. Welcome, Gia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, I want to ask you for one piece of unsolicited advice that you would just like to tell our audience. Sure. I think the advice that I always give that comes to mind is what's for you is for you. I think sometimes we get caught up in the fact that cliches are said so much that we feel like it somehow cancels out the validity of the piece of advice. But sometimes things just are what they are. What's for you is for you. And you have to really really, really keep that in mind, especially in this era where we have access to everybody's highlight reels and we feel like we're never doing Mm -hmm. enough and we're never going to be who we want to be. And it's like, no, what's for you is for you. Anything that you're supposed to do is already aligned, already planned, already coming to you. So Mm -hmm. just trust in the divine timing of your life and know that what's for you will never miss you. It's so true. Sometimes things are cliches for a reason, right? Exactly. Like, cause they work. Yeah. <laughs> a similar one I think about a lot is you can't lose what's meant for you. Same idea, Same right? Thing. And I, I, yeah. I think that is so true. If you can actually believe it, it can bring you a lot of peace. Yeah, it really can. It, it helps in the days where you feel misaligned or that you made a mistake or a misstep or that someone, mm-hmm. you know, got something that you really, really worked hard for, which happens. I mean, Danielle uh, Brooks talked about it on on my podcast too. Like, and we talked a little bit about how that really kind of messes with your spirit. But when you get back to the highest version of yourself and you're done feeling all your feelings, you realize if it was for you, it would have been for you. And if, if it's for that person, it's going to be for that person. Right. And sometimes five or 10 years later, it becomes really, really clear that things did work out. But, you know, it's a long time to wait, so it is tough. But I think that's great advice. Okay, Gia and I will dive into your letters and give some advice after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Prudy Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Gia Peppers. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, I Want to Do My Own Work. About six months ago, a colleague and friend left our company to take on a better role at a well-respected nonprofit. There was an opening on her team, and she asked if I was interested, knowing I was unhappy at my current company. I applied, was interviewed, and was hired. I thought it was going to be the change I needed. I also assumed that since we worked together in the past, it would be an easy transition to the new company. 
I am now finding that I was wrong. I love the mission and values of the company, and I love the work I do there. But my colleague is now my manager, and, well, she micromanages. Every day she either calls me on my cell phone or through Teams and talks and talks. I would say about 90% of the time she is having me watch her do things and asking my opinion. While I have to watch her, I can't get my own work done. I'm not sure she thinks this is helping me or if she values my opinion that much. When we were at our previous company, we were coworkers and handled different areas of the same function, so there were some times we bounced ideas off of each other. Here, she's my manager, and we have a small three-person team, yet she has multiple meetings a day with me, but not our other teammate. I have the technical skills that she and our other teammates lack, so I've been given big projects to work on, but I can't get my work done when I have to talk to her for hours a day. Can you help me with a script to tell her to back off? I'm so frustrated. I'm seriously considering finding another job, even though I love the work I do here. So workplace advice is not my specialty. In my personal life, I've got to admit, typically, if I'm not happy, my approach has been to silently seethe for about a month and then go on the job market Mm. and leave. Mm. Um, But I actually, I thought of this question for you because you're a person who's had a really unconventional and I'd say remarkable career journey. Mm -hmm. And you strike me as someone who's really strategic and clear-eyed about achieving your goals. Um, as a journalist. Mm-hmm. So to back up, I couldn't fit it all in your bio. It would have been too long. Yeah, well, but can you give people um, a quick sense of everything you've done since graduating from Rutgers? Sure. Um, just so people can understand sort of the, the pivots you've made professionally. Sure. Yeah. So I started um, working in the entertainment media space really before I graduated, but I was more of an intern, but I always count that because you just learn so much. So like I would go back to my hometown of DC and work at radio stations with Donnie Simpson and Big Tigger and take all I learned there and then apply that to my internships in New York, which were the first and second seasons of the Wendy Williams show and live with Kelly and Michael at that time. And from there, I did a lot of mentoring, um, like academy opportunities where I was kind of, I was being shown inside peeks into the entertainment industry by people who were already inside of it. And they especially were black women that really wanted to create a space for the new generation of black women to know what they didn't know. And so I had a lot of experience before I actually graduated. When I graduated, I was able to utilize all of those different industry relationships that I got to move forward in reporting. So I worked for a, you know, smaller startup website called nstars.com, but there and music exclusives at that, those were different blogs and different websites in New York. That's how I started getting my red carpet reporting under my, under my tool belt and was able to get a reel together. And that's when I started really getting more jobs with the Washington Wizards and BT and Essence and all these different places. Uh, and so that's pretty much 
how my career journey started. From there, I did Black Coffee. Um, I also worked with Ebro at 97 during that time, and that's how we started Black Girl Podcast, which is one of my favorite shows. And one one of these days will come back. Um, and who knows when though? But I do think that there is a beauty in just kind of evolving and using each stepping stone to get to the next spot. Um, and though I haven't worked in an office setting consistently since Essence in 2017 on purpose, I do remember what it felt like to be micromanaged. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just to fast forward to now, uh, before I get into like what I'm thinking about the response, um, I do, I have a show called More Than That on Urban One Radio and Podcast. I also worked with Amazon Music and now I do Healed Girl Era. So I'm always creating, always hosting, always doing something. And every project is different. Um, mm-hmm. But I am a huge huge proponent for advocating for yourself in the workplace. You got to do it respectfully. You have to do it with some type of tact and strategy. So for Mm -hmm. this young woman, again, I don't have to work with anybody every day. And I set it up like that because, you know, people can (laughs) be a lot. But I think there is a time where old colleagues become managers. I think it's fair to reset expectations. And I think this mm-hmm. is what she might need to do. Um, it's it's one of the things that I'm learning in therapy is that I have to be honest and open with what I want and what I need. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me. I hate it. I hate being like, you know, I'm so used to just adjusting what I need so other people can fit in and do what yeah. they need to do that I have learned that through therapy, I have started to little little by little dismiss what I actually need and and what I actually can can do to make those needs known. So I'm challenging myself every day to be like, ooh, what does my spirit need? What does my mind need? What does my soul need? And for this in a more of a workspace scenario, I think that if she especially is your former friend or a friend that you all used to have these open conversations with, I would tell her, hey, uh, I'm so down to do these calls. However, mm-hmm. Maybe can, can it be twice a week instead of, you know, can it be Tuesday and Thursdays? Can it be, you know, 30 minute check-ins instead of hours and hours? Uh, mm-hmm. These are the goals that I really like to make for myself. And I feel, um, you know, like like I can't get my work done. And, you know, let me know if this is something that you are able to um, just hear me out on because this is affecting my work and my overall performance at the company. And nobody is, wins if somebody's failing. Yeah, I think that's so smart. One, um, I have a question mark on the word friend I in know, this letter. I know, you um, never know. You never know. And I think it's fine to be friendly with a colleague. But um, I've also heard you talk before about knowing the difference between people who you know professionally and may have some fondness for and people who are your actual friends who um, know you, who know you intimately, who know your middle name who know your family or who really, really want the best for you. Yeah. And um, not to be really negative about this, but I think in this conversation, the letter writer should treat the other woman as uh, a manager more than a friend. So the message, like you said, should center on, this is what I need to get my work done for you. Not, I'm a little bit unhappy. Can you, um, you know, get off my back? Cause you know, we're friends and I'm annoyed. Yeah. Cause the, cause then she can put on her manager hat and be like, well, if you're annoyed, then you don't need to be here or something like, like yeah. it, it could go left really quickly depending on the level of friendship. But no, that's something, a lesson I learn every day because I think the entertainment industry in particular and 
certain industries. Uh, and, well, honestly, probably all industries where you work with somebody consistently, there the lines get blurred mm-hmm. about who you really are friends with and who you're friendly with, who you're an associate with and who you mm-hmm. just have a work relationship with. Uh, and so now, especially in my 30s, I have learned to be like, okay, these are the priority of friend groups and this is how I pour into them and this is how I would hope they pour into me. And if they don't, then we keep adjusting. Like you always have to adjust and readjust your life. So I hope um, she is able to kind of put the work in front of friend there. Right, to really right. See and I, yeah. I definitely think seeing this person as a manager more than a friend will give some clarity, um, again, to make it about the work. So Allison Green, who writes the Ask a Manager Advice column, I noticed that whenever people ask for advice about how to confront a boss about something, she always suggests focusing on like the task at hand and what you need to be as productive as you need to be. So let me know what you think of the script I put together. So I wanted to ask you for advice on balancing my time between our daily meeting schedule and my focus on work projects. I'm happy to do whatever is most important, but I'm noticing that when we spend several hours a day talking, I'm not able to make progress on my personal deadlines. Could we try to consolidate the meetings and calls? Or is there someone who can take some of the technical projects off my plate? That way I could be freed up to collaborate with you more. Um, So a couple of options there. And again, it all goes back to, I'm trying to be a good employee here. Yeah. I would also point out, you're clearly very important. Mm. So she's talking to you as a professional peer. You're doing projects that no one else can do. Your advice is really valued. When the opportunity comes up, you should ask for a raise and a promotion. Because it sounds like you are sort of on her level in terms of what you have to offer. And you should be compensated for that. This is good. That's good. I like that script. So... Yeah, have that talk and just keep in mind, managers are really important in determining whether your job is one where you can thrive or not. Um, Another thing I've heard you talk about, Gia, is working for the Donnie Simpson show Mm -hmm. and how you actually didn't know if you could work in this realm until you had him as a boss. And he kind of demonstrated to you that you could be kind and be a nice person. You didn't have to be cutthroat to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so letter writer, I, I'm not telling you um, to leave like I would probably the minute I got frustrated <laughs> for two weeks. But I am telling you to think about the outcome of this conversation. And if it's not well received or if you feel like there's any retaliation or any bitterness, don't be afraid to move on. As an employee, you, you don't have the right to be managed in the way you like, unfortunately. But you do have the right to go send your resume out. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Gia Peppers, to answer your letters. And the next one is titled, A Decade of Devotion. How can I continue to support my best friend when she has made little to no changes in her life for the last 10 years? 
She is a giving person, but is stuck and incapable of improving her situation. She somehow feels responsible for her 32-year-old daughter, who refuses to take responsibility for her own two children, to the point that she has absolved herself of all obligations. Her daughter is verbally abusive, with undiagnosed mental illness, incapable of holding down a job, has no savings, and contributes nothing to the household, yet she believes she is supposed to be catered to. I have been listening to her litany of complaints for 10 years, and nothing has changed. No matter how much advice and patience I have dispensed, her situation has not changed. Our friendship has become her constantly venting without my ability to hear about other aspects of her life. So, Gia, you host the Healed Girl podcast, which focuses a lot on things your guests have overcome to get to where they are. And I know this is personal for you. Because I've heard other interviews with you where you just come across as a person who very much takes life by the reins. And if you want something to happen, you make it happen. I'm going to quote one of your recent Instagram captions to you. Forget those who don't believe. Believe in yourself, your call, your why, your promise from God. It's right there. Don't back down. You've come way too far and prayed way too hard to let anything stop you now. You said in your interview with Kelly Rowland, that you look in the mirror in the morning and say, whatever happens, I'm going to be good. So this is my question for you. You're that kind of person. Do you have patience in your personal life for the other kind of person who stays stuck in their problems and doesn't seem to be trying to move forward or help themselves? Yeah, I'm not that way in a in every aspect of my life. That is very much my career, my dreams, my purpose, and like how I get through a world and a job and a position and a calling that has no blueprint Mm -hmm. with personal things. I definitely take my time. And especially when it comes to friends, I've had friends who have been in sticky situations. I've been in sticky situations. I've been in situations where I know that guy wasn't right for me. Uh, You know, and I've had my friends be like ears at every time that he hurt me and I needed those friends. And then eventually you come to a space where you finally have had enough. That isn't dating. I am not a mother. I have no idea what it, it feels like to raise a child, carry a human being in your stomach to term, have a, health, a healthy baby for the most part, and then be with that child for the rest of your life. From my friends who are parents, they say that it's like having your own heart outside of your body. I honestly don't know what to say to this person because I am not a mother and I don't have a friend that that is dealing with this. I am 33, so I don't even understand, you know, what what that type of time on earth and the these are different levels of friendship, you know, that that is happening. Like we I would be probably friends with 32-year-old and more wondering about like, girl, what you going to do to get out your mama's house? <laughs> then, then, and, and you got two kids, like what's going on? Um, more than the, the, the concerned friend of the mother in charge. So for this, I would hope that there is room. If you've been fr- friends for the, with this woman for decades and you're coming up on 10 years, I would hope that there's room to honor your feelings, but also understand that this is a woman who is never going to give up on her daughter. That's what it sounds like. Even And maybe she has trouble setting boundaries and maybe no one ever even asked her about her boundaries her entire life. And maybe she doesn't know how to set them with herself and especially not the child that she clearly loves and feels some type of responsibility for. Um, so if it gets to be too much 
for you as a friend, you might have to do the painful work of just taking less calls or deciding if this is not a healthy friendship for you anymore. But I don't know. I have never been in this type of situation. This is above my pay grade. (laughs) I haven't been in it either, but I do know that And this probably comes from just reading so many of these letters. Some situations are really, really hard and really dark and don't have a great solution. I'm not sure what the letter writer hopes her friend will do. Is she supposed to kick out her 32-year-old daughter and the grandchildren so she doesn't have to complain about them anymore? Would that actually make her happy? I'm sure there's things she can do at the margins. Maybe she could join a support group for people in similar situations. Maybe she could try to work on a timeline for her daughter to work out. Maybe she could condition her daughter staying with her on getting treated for mental illness. I mean, someone who is mentally ill and needs help but is an adult can't be forced to get it. And like you said, this friend loves her daughter and she's in... I don't want to say it's an impossible situation, but it's a really, really hard situation. Mm -hmm. It kind of flattens it just to say, you've been complaining for so long and the situation has not changed. Well, how, how would you like it to change? Is your problem that your friend isn't doing what you think she needs to do, whatever that may be, to improve her life? Is it the quality of your conversations with her and how they're all about the complaining? Because we can, we can tackle the latter one a little bit better. So go for that first. So I suggest one of two plans. One, just steamroll them with your own conversation. Get on the phone and just start talking about what you want to talk about. Ask them questions about things that you want to hear about. Ask them for advice about stuff in your life. Or you can be explicit about it and just say, I know you're in this tough situation. I really feel for you. I have some stuff going on in my life too. I have some fun stuff I want to talk about, like these shows I've been watching and projects I'm working on. Could we carve out time in the week, whether it's going for coffee once a week or every other conversation or 20 minutes in every catch up where we put aside your daughter and the grandkids and the struggle and connect on other stuff. I I think that's a reasonable ask, even for someone who is struggling and needs support. She hasn't said anything about, you know, I'm tired of being her friend. I'm over this. This is it. You know, so it sounds like, again, she has some need for this to this friendship to still be in her life. So I definitely think that's a great way to honor what you need as a person. But then I'll also say, hey, I really want to get to know all all the other things that are happening. What's your mind feeling like? And it's hard when you're living somewhere with a person like that literally just is your world. Do something to shake your friend out of the current reality and remind her of the other aspects of her life that you are experiencing and clearly want to touch on. Right. And I was just thinking too, if you really want to support her and if you really want her to actually be happier, maybe you babysit the grandkids and tell her to get out of the house and do something else. I think sometimes people really need concrete help more than advice and listening even. So yeah, real support might look like babysitting. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show, and when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Gia and I are about to tackle our last letter for the day. This letter is titled, Puzzled Pal. 
I have a colleague whom I work very closely with to manage our team. He is the best coworker I've ever had. And besides my husband is someone who I feel is just simpatico. My husband calls him my work husband. My coworker has commented on how well we vibe, even though he's a few years older than me. We have been working together for a few years now and have become friends outside the office. I've confided in him when I had worries about my teenagers. He has met my family and kids many times and dined at my home. I've recently realized I have never met his wife, despite inviting them both to non-work social events and attending the same large work functions. He always says she's away for work when he joins us socially, or she's left when I ask to meet her at an event. She does work away a lot, like a commercial pilot. And at the work functions, I'm usually the event manager, so I generally only get to socialize at the end. It's always seemed plausible to me that we haven't met in that specific instance. But now I'm looking at it overall, it seems strange. I will admit I think he's attractive, but I thought I've never done anything to indicate it. Are we not the friends I thought we were if he wouldn't introduce me to someone so important to him? Or am I reading far too much into a strange coincidence? Do you have any general um, policies or rules or beliefs about work spouses? No, because I haven't worked in a space where I ever had a work spouse. Some of my mm-hmm. friends do, and they will be on the phone, and their husband be in the car, and it's my work husband. And I think my husband, my husband's not going to like that. But I don't know because I don't have a husband either. So I think this situation is very interesting. Like I'm like, he's been around your family. Your own husband calls him your work Mm -hmm. husband. Clearly y'all have a very confident relationship. And I love that because your husband like, okay, well y'all, when you're done, come on back home. (laughs) Like remember who your real (laughs) husband is. But I think that is peculiar that your friend slash work husband hasn't introduced you to his real life wife. But if she's a pilot. Yeah. I mean, it's plausible that this makes sense. I think there's a case to be made that she is just busy and introverted. But my thought is, if you're sitting down to write this letter, you've got to listen to yourself. I also want to mention, you said you do find him attractive, but you haven't done anything to show it. I don't know. Are you sure? Because... Usually when you find someone attractive, it's going to come out in the way you behave with them, whether or not you're able to control it or whether you say anything explicit. I think I have to say just emotionally and on a gut feeling level, there are red flags waving all over the place in this letter to me. I hate to come off like a prude. I want to be clear. I think the letter writer has done nothing wrong. I also think your instincts are telling you that not only does this man like you and want to hide you from his wife... But because you return the feelings, you could be entering emotional affair territory. You could be setting yourself up to go there. Yeah. I think, you know, my coworkers have commented on how well we vibe is kind of interesting. Because usually, like, when I've heard my friends say, like, you guys vibe really well together, Mm -hmm. it's usually in the romantic context. It's Mm -hmm. usually somebody that I'm like, I'm on this date. My friend is, I'm letting my friend meet him for the first time. Like, what do you think? And they usually say, oh, I think you guys vibe well together. So if your coworkers are saying you vibe well together, then you might, you could be touching his shoulder for too long, even if it's two seconds too long or like mm-hmm. laughing, uh, you know, for too long, or maybe y'all always stay after the meetings and walk around to get lunch together. Mm-hmm. Like there's a 
and you talk about y'all, y'all's teenagers together. Like there's, there's a closeness there that, like you were saying, could reach emotional affair if he's especially being weird and guarded about his own personal life. Like he hasn't invited y'all, you over for this? Like what, right. for, for me, it does, it when, once you kind of pointed that out, I just didn't want to see it. But once you pointed that out, it, <laughs> it does feel a little interesting. Because also if we're being 100% honest, if you're at every event and he really wants you to meet his wife, as soon as he and his wife touch down, hey, I'm here, where you at? Hey, right. are you in the back room? I'm coming to the back room so I can introduce my wife to you. Like, it's not like y'all are in the same space. And that's interesting. I've had one work husband in my life back when I was a lawyer. And I don't think I knew him for more than a month before mm-hmm. I met his wife and became equally close to her. Yeah. Again, I hate to sound so prudish about this. I feel really regressive and backward when I start to get into men and women who are straight can't be friends territory. Um, or you have to befriend the spouse too. Cause I can hear people saying that's so immature. You're allowed to have a friend. People can control themselves. People see each other as more than sexual objects. But again, what's concerning me here is that you think he's attractive and you're concerned enough about his stance to write this letter. And then I'll add your observation. The coworkers are saying, Oh, you two seem to get along really well. I think you want me to tell you that you probably should pull back from this and I'm going to do you a favor and do it. You've done nothing wrong, but the situation is not great. And don't wait until you have the smoking gun. Don't wait until you meet for a drink after work. And he's like, I'm in love with you. Don't let it get that far because you've got to, you've got to trust your feeling about it. Yeah. I think that's so fair. And I think that like the sooner you let that be a part of the reality of the friendship or work spouseship, you'll be able to see it. Like you'll be able to be now that you're looking at it with the eyes of a, this person might be attracted to me. Is he acting weird? Like next now, now that you have this thought in your mind, next time ask him like, Hey, well, why don't you ever invite us over for dinner? Why don't you guys mm-hmm. throw us a dinner party? I'd love to see your home. You tell me so much about it. I'd love to sit down with your wife. Is there a night where she's in town and she's off work and you know, whatever, whatever, even if it's just, we come by for a bo- open a bottle of wine, like we'd love to get to know her or, you know, the next time we go out, let's bring our spouses and then see how he reacts. Like if he's like, no, for what? Oh, right. <laughs> or if he's like, sure. Yeah. Let me get her on the phone now. Like, I think now that you have heard this advice, you will start looking at it through the lens of someone who's more sure that this is this is borderline inappropriate. And then you'll be able to make a decision. Those are all the questions we have for this week. As always, it's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you so much, Gia. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. To keep up with Gia's work, subscribe to her newsletter at giapeppers.com. You can also find her podcast, Healed Girl Era, on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gia Peppers. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your question answered on this podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. 
Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks and me, Janae Desmond-Harris, with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.